Uh, let me invite you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Romans uh, chapter 1. I've entitled the sermon, What I Believe, uh, and pretty much every week I try to tell you what I believe Scripture is saying, uh, but I'll, I'll explain why I, I've chosen that title in, in just a moment. Uh, part of it is because the particular passage of Scripture with which we're dealing this morning is, a, is one of the most challenging passages in all of Scripture, not because it's difficult to understand, not because it's convoluted in its message, but because we really don't like what it says. We don't like it individually, and we certainly don't like it as a culture. Uh, in fact, when several of my friends who kind of keep up with me, whether they're local friends or friends from out of town, saw that I was preaching on the second half of Romans chapter 1 this morning, you know, they kind of said, really? And, and the tone of their voice was kind of the tone of, of an attitude of, you know, you go to watch a high wire act, not because you want to see the guy fall, but you certainly want to be there if it happens. You know, you, you, you kind of don't want to miss it. It's almost that, that morbid curiosity, so to speak. And, and I think that they were thinking, you know, a lot of pastors maybe have fallen off when they got to this particular passage because it is such a challenge for us, again, individually, as well as corporately as a community, uh, to really accept what's uh, taught here. Because of a portion of the text, not because all of it, because a portion of this text deals with one of the most highly charged uh, issues, social issues of our generation, and, and that issue is the, actual, uh, the issue of sexual orientation. Is that important to us? Well, you, you hear terms about, uh, you know, uh, hate speech or hate crimes, uh, intolerance. Uh, the issue of, of gay marriage and gay adoption has been on the ballot in lots of different states and in a lot of different ways, and a lot of different uh, courts have ruled one way or the other on this particular topic. It is the issue of our generation. Uh, what is appropriate when it comes to sexual orientation, or does it not matter whatsoever? Well, part of what we're going to look at this morning deals with that particular issue, which makes it a very challenging issue. And that being the case, I thought it would be important and fair for, for me to pretty much take a public position and to say, this is what I believe Scripture to teach on this issue. I think it's important. I think it's fair for you to know because you have to trust that when I stand up here or anybody else that we let stand up here and share God's Word with you on a Sunday morning, that they are fully convinced that what they're sharing is God's word. Because my opinion, quite frankly, just doesn't matter. My thoughts, my impressions, my ideas of sexual orientation, or any other topic for that matter, really in the grand scheme of the, the history of humanity, matter about as much as a half a drop of water in the Pacific Ocean. However, it is vitally crucial if scripture is the word of God that we understand what he is saying. So Green Tree, you don't, we're not gonna, we're, we're not gonna preach topics, you know, like love or hate or that sort of thing. We may talk about those issues, but in the context of God's Word, because we believe it to be the Word of life. We don't believe that Scripture defines truth. We believe that Scripture is truth. We believe that, that your understanding of Scripture, uh, what you decide about the Word of God and subsequently what you decide about the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important decision, the most important information you will ever gather in your life. Now, Romans 1 is not just about this particular question. There's a much broader issue than the question of sexual orientation. What we're really looking at this morning, and, and try to give us a proper context for the discussion, is the condition of mankind due to idolatry. What we're talking about this morning is what happens 
when we collectively, as the human race, decide that we're not going to worship God, but we're going to worship something or someone else. To put it, to put it brutally honest, what happens when I worship me instead of worshiping God? Because when I worship an idol, whether, whether it's my sexual preference, whether it's my money, whether it's my, uh, my, my career, whether it's my prestige, whatever that blank, however I fill that blank in, at the end of the day, it means I'm worshiping me instead of God. Well, when a whole bunch of people do that, billions of people throughout the history of mankind, what's the net result? That is the question that Paul is tackling in Romans chapter 1, the second half. I'm going to reread verses 18 through 23, which was our text for last week, just in order to set the stage for the context with which the rest of the chapter deals. Uh, so I'm going to read more than I'm going to preach on this morning, which for the congregation is probably always really good news. Um, but we're going to read 18 through 23 to, to be reminded, or if we weren't here last week, to at least hear that context. And then the passage we're going to look at this morning will begin at 24. So hear the word of God, Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, what Paul has just said there is we are practicing idolatry. We have exchanged true worship for false worship. What is the result? Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature other than, instead of, rather than the creator, excuse me, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the reading of God's holy, perfect, and this morning somewhat disturbing word. Let's pray. Father, we come together this morning not only to worship you with our hearts, not only to sing your praise, but also to worship you with our minds. Father, this text will challenge 
that desire to worship because it will say some things that we may not want to hear. But Lord, unless we understand our condition, we will not understand our need for a Savior. There's no way around it. This is bad news. And yet, Lord, if we don't get the bad news, we will never understand why we need the good news. Why Paul was so passionate about the gospel. He said it was the power of God for salvation. Why? What's the point? From what do I need to be saved? Lord, that's the message we need to understand. So I pray, Lord, that you would show us our sin. Not so that we will leave discouraged and distraught. Not so that we will have an angry reaction. How could God possibly say that? How could God be so narrow-minded and so mean? But rather, God, that we would see your glorious grace. That we would understand that in spite of the decisions and the choices we have made, you save sinners like us. So, Lord, we pray for your teaching this morning. My opinion does not matter. Father, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know, to understand. Holy Spirit, apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to give you five things that I believe this morning with all of my heart. The first is this. I believe that bad theology leads to bad thinking, which leads to bad behavior. Bad theology leads to bad thinking, which leads to bad behavior. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What Paul is saying is that if you get your starting point wrong, everything after that is going to be uh, wrong. If you're building a house, you've got to get the foundation correct. If that first corner wall is not a perfect 90-degree angle, everything in the rest of the house is going to be off to one degree or another. That's what Paul has said in verses 18 through 23. He says everything is off because our, our fundamentally our thinking is wrong. Our presuppositions about life are incorrect. In other words, we, we have uh, formed a life around idolatry, around the worship of something other than God, and that's bad theology. Theology is simply what do you believe about God? That's a big word uh, to ask a very simple question. What's your understanding and your belief about God? And, and our answer throughout the ages is that uh, we have decided that we are God, that, that we're going to worship ourselves, that we don't need him. We're going to do it on our own. Because of that, everything in life is impacted. It throws everything off. Now, before I, I go too much further down the road, I want to just take a, a moment and talk about this phrase, God gave them up, because it's going to be uh, in this passage on three different times. And people look at that and they're like, you know, it seems like God is maliciously, you know, forcing people to do bad things. That's not what the word means. That's not the intention. God does not have a malicious heart against mankind. Technically speaking there, the, the word, uh, the phrase he gave them up, uh, it means to hand over. Uh, in other words, it, it's to allow someone to live with the consequences of their choice. And so we, we, we say, for example, you know, if, if someone uh, breaks the law and they, you know, they run the stop sign, they get a ticket, that's a consequence of their action. They, they have to pay for that. The police officer isn't malicious for pulling you over. The police officer doesn't have evil intentions for you. The police officer is saying, this is the standard by which we all live. And if you break that law, then you must pay the fine. And so when Paul says God gave them up, it simply means that God uh, allows them 
the, to live with the repercussions of their thinking. And we, if you're a parent, uh, probably you get this. You know, one of the things we, we try to do is help our children understand that they have to live with the repercussions of their behavior. Uh, and, and parents that, that don't do that are doing their children a grave disservice. If we always rescue our kids out of, out of the problems they create for themselves, then perhaps we, we aren't helping them as best we could. I think I read this a few years ago, but I, I pulled it out again this morning as I was looking at this. So I think it sums it up. This is a, a message machine at a, at a high school. Uh, thank you for calling in. Please listen to the following options. To lie about your child's absence, press 1. To make an excuse for why your child did not do his or her work, press 2. To complain about what we do, press 3. To swear at staff members, press 4. To ask why you didn't get the information that we already enclosed in your newsletter and sent several flyers, uh, press 5. If you want us to raise your child, press 6. If you want to reach out, touch, hit, slap someone, press 7. Complain about, excuse me, to request another teacher for the third time this semester, press 8. To complain about bus transportation, 9. To complain about school lunches, press 0. If you realize that this is the real world and your child must be held accountable and responsible for his or her own behavior, classwork, homework, and that's not the teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, hang up and have a nice day. (laughs) Silly, silly, but, but to the point. Ultimately, God provides a rescue, but God also is gracious enough to say, let me allow you to see where this choice has led. You're going to need to live with your bad theology, your me instead of God. Uh, the, the lusts of your heart, idolatry, the idolatry that's explained in verses 18 through 23 works its way out in that phrase, the lusts of their heart. In other words, when you refuse to worship me, the deepest emotions, the deepest desires you have, you will look for something to worship or some way to express that in another way. And that's the way we figured it out is by dishonoring of our bodies. In other words, we we practice something else thinking that it will actually help us. It's reinforced by the following phrase. They exchanged the truth about God. Okay, there's theology and thinking. They've exchanged that truth for a lie. Well, what's the net result? Worshiping and serving the creature instead of the creator. Um, That word serving there is slave terminology. In other words, you are are under the, uh, the slavery the idol, in a sense, has become the master. And so, well, we might say, you know, I've got this idol over here that, that's money, or I've got this idol over here that's sex, or idol over here that, that's my uh, occupation. That actually controls you and consumes you. It will never meet the deepest needs of your heart because it was never intended to be an object of your worship. And you become enslaved, and I become enslaved. And that's what Paul says. Our bad theology, the the rejection of the worship of God doesn't stop there. It leads somewhere. It it warps the way we think, which therefore has terrible repercussions on the way we live. Secondly, I believe that this bad theology, thinking, and behavior are unnatural. And by that I mean very specifically, not that for which we were created. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men contain, uh, committing shameless acts, so on uh, and so forth. The unnatural part of this is that for which, or that, um, 
not that for which we were created. We're, we're going in a different direction, direction than the way for which we are wired. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put these verses on the screen, but I am going to read for you out of Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment. Uh, in case you've never heard this before, or uh, to refresh your memory, perhaps, in talking about God's natural order when it comes to our sexual orientation, when it comes to the way we relate to one another, uh, men to women. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So then it goes on to talk about how God creates all the animals and all the livestock. But it says after he does all that and he brings them to Adam and Adam names them, it says, Adam, there was no helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought him, brought her to him. Then the man said, this is... At last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We have in Genesis chapter 2 the natural order of God's creation. It is a good gift. That it sounds really kind of flowery, that poem that, that Adam breaks out into this poetry, you know, uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. That sounds really kind of, you know, kind of, kind of like it should be in the Bible, quite frankly. Um, if I were to paraphrase that in, into Tom Ricks's language, you'd be, oh, wow, is she wonderful. <laughs> That's what Adam's doing. Adam is like, really, Lord, I, I get to hang out with her? We, we're together. This, this, this is this is my partner. This is my friend. This is my soulmate. And God said, I, "I I brought her to you because I wanted the two of you to understand what real intimacy is about. She is the very best thing that I could provide for you in God's economy of nature. That is why the relationship was created. And when we get off course with our with our wrongful worship of ourselves, we distort that." And we inject, instead of the worship of God, a different set of passions which lead us to, to worship of self, and the deviant becomes the norm. That's, that's the end result. Now, I want to say just a couple things about this before we move on, and I want to make sure everybody uh, is clear here on what I believe. Number one, Paul is not saying that homosexuality is a worse sin than any others. We've done that. We, the church, have said that, that, that this sexual immorality uh, is worse and, and therefore those people should be condemned. That is not what Paul's saying and that is not biblical and is not how disciples of Jesus should think. Paul is not setting this up and saying this is the worst possible sin you can commit. All Paul is saying is that if you want to see where your idolatry can lead, if you want to see how false worship can impact you, here's what it can do. It can make you think the unnatural is the very most natural thing about which you should be doing. Secondly, Paul is not arguing from the moral standard of his day. I've heard some theologians very well-meaning say, well, of course, in Paul's day, that was, that, that was you know, socially, it was not the norm, and you, you would never do that during Paul's day. And the Lord bless you, you know, if, if that was your position, all I got to say is you are, you are absolutely ignoring the facts of history. It is very clear that in the Greco-Roman world, homosexuality was something that was widely accepted by the vast majority of people. And Paul is not writing here solely to a Jewish audience. Most of the people to whom Paul is writing are citizens of Rome. They're Romans. And this is going to be information that's going to make them sit up and say, whoa, wait a minute. We didn't think about that. 
And we think this conversation is new to 20th and 21st century America. We clearly have our historical heads in the sand. Thirdly, the language here is not language of prostitution or unfaithfulness. In other words, I've heard someone say, well, of course homosexuality is a sin if it's practiced outside the bonds of one partner, one you know, faithful life, long relationship. That is not the language of this text, and it is a wrong interpretation to put it in. Paul is saying very simply, same-sex relationships are outside God's natural order, natural design, They're morally unnatural, and therefore they're morally harmful to your soul. Paul's not giving us a baseball bat with which to attack other people. God forbid. I believe everyone, thirdly, is spiritually disoriented. Look at verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there's that phrase again, to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Debased mind there literally means uh, unfit or failing uh, the test. In other words, when, 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 uh, when God looked at all the animals and all the, all the creatures that Adam was naming, na- uh, naming, he says, there isn't a partner fit for Adam. There isn't anybody that, that, that passes the test of what Adam should have together with this, with this other being. So he created woman and she passed the test with flying colors, right? So you go to the driver's place and you take your test and I don't, what's passing, 70 or 75? So if you get a 68, you don't get your driver's license. You're deemed an unfit driver. Now, I passed the test with flying clothes. I should probably be deemed an unfit driver, but that'll be in a sermon on another day. You get my point. This, this, uh, this lack of worship, this idolatry, means that the behavior with which we live comes out of a spiritual disorientation. We are confused. And our behavior is irrational based on the truth of God's design. I've shared this example with you before, I think. Um, the psychiatrist in Texas, in Dallas, that came up with a, with a test to see how his patients were doing if they were moving back towards sanity. And he put them in a room that had a spigot uh, and had a room, uh, uh, kind of an area that would collect water, and he gave them a bucket and a mop, and he put them in the room with the water running. And he said very clearly, if a person took the bucket and they began to mop up the water as fast as they could and wring it out of the bucket and wrap up as fast as they could, they were still dealing with life in an irrational way because anybody that is sane walks in, sees what's going on, and turns off the spigot. Idolatry leads us to believe a lie. Our inability to discern truth begets corruption in our hearts. And friends, my immorality and your immorality and all of the immorality in the world collectively is nothing more than us spending our lives trying to mop up the spiritual water that is spilled out and creating pain in our lives absent the presence of God. A lot of you know that our son, Jordan, our youngest, is a freshman at University of Alabama. Um, I'm enrolled in another school. I already have my doctorate, but, I, but I, I go to another university. I go there at least twice a week. I go there every Sunday morning around 5.30 in the morning, and it's the University of the 7-Eleven on Woodbine Avenue in Kirkwood. And the, uh, the, the University of 7-Eleven uh, is a great instructor on this very thing, that people are spiritually disoriented, that, that, that the... the the thing that is most uh, abnormal has become 
the norm. And a, and a guy that I know actually works the, uh, the midnight shift there and is there till 6 on Sunday morning. So I see him every Sunday. His son and, and our older son, Nathan, used to play hockey together. And I go in on Sunday mornings. I'm like, okay, tell me the, tell me the story from last night. What happened last night? And he'll go in, you know, last Saturday or last Sunday morning, for example, uh, Green Tree Festival ended up at a, at a bar pretty close to a lot of the folks ended up at a bar pretty close to his establishment. And there was a huge bar brawl, which spilled over into the 7-Eleven around two o'clock in the morning. And, and he had lots of fun stories of, about that. But if you want to, if you want to study human nature, that's where you go because you will see very clearly what happens in people's lives. He told me the other day that, uh, he said, you know, you ought to come in here a little earlier on Sunday morning. I said, really, why is that? He said, well, around 5 in the morning on Sunday morning, I have four guys that come in uh, every, every, every week, the same time, and they've all pitched in, and they buy a bottle of vodka, and they, and they go out and they sit on the curb and they start drinking it at 5 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday morning. Friends, I'm not condemning these people, but how do you get to the point where that's a good idea? <laughs> how do you get to a place where that is the right reaction to the pain in your heart? Now, before I judge too quickly, I got a lot of those kind of areas in my life. I just don't necessarily sit on a sidewalk. My spiritual disorientation is is just as serious as anybody else's apart from Christ. Fourthly, I believe our common idolatry, our common lack of worshiping God, produces a complex evil. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. In other words, no area of life is untainted by idolatry, is untainted by this lack of a willingness to worship God. American Christians, for whatever reason, are obsessed with condemning sexual immorality. And I'm not here this morning to say sexual immorality is anything other than that, but it seems to be the battle cry. As if we were immune to that temptation, and all the while we are ignoring the far-reaching impact of evil with which we have become all too comfortable. Take a look at that list. I mean, really, take a look at this list. Can we be honest for a second? I took a look at this list this week, and I put my name in there. There are 17 times in the English. There's actually 21 in the Greek. I was going easy on myself. There's 17 different sins. Just in this section. Forget the earlier section. Just this section. I had 14 of them. The truth is, I had 15, but I, I, I took the, the murder uh, one right there, and technically I haven't killed anybody, and, and I ignored Jesus' teaching that said, if you've called someone a fool, you've murdered them in your heart, right? So I let myself go on that. So really, I'm in denial, but also... There, I had 15 to 17, and I didn't even have to stop and think about it. I'm sure if I stopped and thought about it, I would be batting a 1,000. Friends, we are in a place, I believe, in time and history as a church, where we need to shout boldly from the rooftops, not excusing sexual immorality, uh, immorality not, not saying it's okay, but saying, you know what? We know what it means to be broken by sin. We're not judgmental. We fall under the same judgment as everybody else, whether it's this sin or that sin really isn't the point. The point is, even if I haven't committed every one of these sins, I am guilty. And I need to be called to account for my attitude towards others. James Edwards wrote a great commentary uh, on on, uh, the book of Romans. If you want uh, the best one that's easiest to read, uh, that would be the one. James Edwards' uh, New International Commentary on the book of Romans. 
Uh, I want to read for you uh, his comments on this particular text. Our individual sins, whatever they are, are like spokes connected to a single hub, all stemming from and leading to the same thing, the demonization of God and the promotion of self. No one is guilty of all these sins. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, Nor is anyone innocent of them all. Romans 1, 18 and following may not be a personal letter to any of us, but then again it may, but it is an open letter to the human race of which we are all a part. So I, I took that idea of the idea of the, the spokes. I thought that was just so well written. Spokes connected to a single hub. They all stem from uh, and lead to the same thing, the demonization of God and the promotion of self. And I asked Hannah Edwards to do this design for me this week because I knew there was no way in the world that I could possibly do it. So for all of you Lion King fans out there that know the circle of lie, I'm, I'm, really, I, I'm not going to sing. That would be terrible. Um, you know, this is the real circle of life. The demonization of God, and it should also say the promotion of self. I forgot to have her add that. But look at the spokes on righteousness, ruthlessness, murder, deceit, gossip, boastful, arrogant, debased mind, sexual perversion. Friends, (laughs) this common idolatry has produced a complex evil. And none of us are out from under the responsibility of our bad theology, which has led to bad thinking, which has led to a rebelliousness against God. Fifthly, I believe that Johann Albrecht Bengel got it exactly right. Who the heck is that guy? He's a 16th century German theologian who wrote, he is a worse man who destroys both himself and others than he who destroys himself alone. The last verse in chapter one, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. The accomplice, Paul says, also carries the guilt. Tacit approval is still approval. We should not obsess over these issues, but nor should we ignore them. We must understand that embracing idolatry has been, is, and will continue to be disastrous to humanity. We have created quite a pickle. (laughs) And God graciously shares this information with us. Not so that he will put his thumb on us and press us down so that we'll feel miserable, but rather that we will cry out for mercy and for grace because we see ourselves on that pinwheel. We find within our own hearts a culpability for the lack of worship of God. And we embrace his remedy, which can be only found in the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Romans was written because the gospel is good news, friends. But if you don't know why you need a Savior, then you shrug your shoulders and say, it isn't all that good news to me. I don't really need it. And Paul says you do more than you could ever imagine. How do you apply this passage this morning? I'm gonna give you three quick applications. The first is this. We deny these truths to our own peril. If we ignore this passage of Scripture, any portion of it, sexual orientation all the way down to all the stuff uh, that is is common everyday occurrence in many of our lives, we ignore that to our own peril. I had a a friend once that said to me, I would love to come to Green Tree Community Church. I I would be there every Sunday. I'd be faithful. I love what you guys stand for. I think it's great. I just need you to get off the homosexual thing. I need you to say that homosexuality, is you're born with it, you have no control over it, and there's nothing wrong with that particular preference. And I said, well, I'll give you this much. 
you certainly are born with that proclivity. That's what sin does. I don't care if you have a proclivity to alcohol or proclivity to sexual immorality or proclivity to watching eight hours of TV when you ought to be out working and supporting your family. I'll give you the fact that man's born corrupt. I, I, I got you there. But you're asking me to tell you that sin is okay makes me culpable for the condition of your soul. And I can't go there any more than, than if I saw you, you, you were in a car crash and, and your car was about to catch on fire and I just walked by and shrugged my shoulders instead of trying to pull you out. I don't say these things because I think, you know, oh, I just, I love to put people down. I love to pigeonhole people or hate speech or whatever you want to call it. The truth of God is the truth of God. And he gives us to us as a warning. Friends, if you ignore these truths, you do so at your own spiritual peril. Secondly, and related to that, we must use this passage as a mirror into our own souls. I said it earlier, I'll say it again. God didn't give us this passage to use it as a baseball bat with which to beat other people. This is for you and I to reflect on our need for a Savior, on how much I need grace, how much you need grace, before we ever look at anyone else. And thirdly, it's this. And I'll, and I'll put it this way. I, I'm, I'm really excited, quite frankly, about the, the prospect of 440 North Kirkwood and, and what could happen because of that. We're, gonna, we're supposed to close on that on, on Thursday. There'll be more information about that. But in light of the school I attend on Sunday mornings uh, early, I think we ought to throw a couple hundred thousand extra dollars in that. And we ought to buy the 7-Eleven. And we ought to staff it with people who get the gospel. So that when people come in, like the two gals that came in this morning, and my buddy told me about it, who had had a real good night working at an establishment about 20 miles away from his establishment, had a lot of extra money to spend in their pocket because the men who had walked in that establishment were, were looking for God and worshiping in the wrong place. Instead of somebody saying to them, wow, isn't it great you had a good night? There'd be somebody there that says, I'm so sorry for your pain. Let me tell you about the grace of God in Christ because that's my pain too. The longing of God's heart is for people like you and me to understand how desperately lost we are in order that we might understand the grace of God, but also that we might not be guilty of the sin of indifference, of turning our back and being comfortable as the world around us disintegrates for lack of knowing Jesus. Let's pray.